Well, good morning. Hey, I think you're more awake here than you always were at Kendall Square. I'm not quite sure. Maybe it's the chairs, right? So the chair, does anyone miss those chairs yet? Yeah. <laughs> That's okay, we'll make up for it in lots of other ways, won't we? Um, yeah, I am Pastor Linda, and as always, is it a joy? It's just a joy to be together. And um, besides being in kind of a new space for a lot of us, for a lot of people, we're also starting a new sermon series. And this week really sets the stage for everything else. It's an interesting passage to go through. But we have named this series Unexpected. And if you had to do just one word that talks about the last two and a half years, it's unexpected, isn't it? Uh, we have added to that, though, unexpected, God's good intentions through the detours of Joseph's life. Yes, Joseph's story wraps up the book of Genesis, which is the first book in our Bible. And each of these four weeks that we're going to look at Joseph, we're going to be left on a cliffhanger waiting for that next episode to drop. But this is only going to drop once a week. No binge watching these four episodes of Joseph. This week, I named the title of this sermon, Promises in the Pit. So that'll give you a glimpse of where we're going, and hopefully it will make sense when I'm done. But you may know Joseph, if you grew up in a church, you probably heard the story of his fancy coat that his dad gave him, or maybe his dreams. If you didn't grow up in the church, maybe you know him from a kind of old now musical called Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Yeah, it's old. It opened in England in the 70s, Broadway in the 80s, North America tour in the 90s. Um, or you may know nothing about Joseph. And then this will be a fascinating story for you. So in that four weeks, we're going to learn a lot of things. But I think we need some context of Joseph. So I'm going to give you a two-minute history of what happens in Genesis before Joseph. Um, so there's creation. God creates the garden, creates Adam and Eve. Everything is fine. Tell Adam and Eve disobey God. Sin enters the world. They're kicked out of the garden. There's a good start, isn't it? And then they have two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain gets jealous of Abel, and he kills them. There's the second generation. Not a really good start. And then scripture says that all the people were evil. And God wants to destroy humanity. But there's Noah. And Noah is faithful. And so God says, okay, I will save Noah and his family and all of the animals from the flood. And then he says, okay, I won't destroy the earth again. And so the people are living and, you know, thriving. And they decide they're going to build the Tower of Babel, be in a city build this tower that will go so high they can reach God because they wanted to be self-important. <sighs> and so God scattered them and gave them different languages, and that's when individual nations started to be established. So a few hundred later, years later, God calls Abram, whose name gets changed to Abraham, and he says to him, I'm going to give you a promise. I'm going to promise you your own land, and I'm going to promise that you will be the beginning of a great nation that will change the world. The world will be blessed through you. So Abraham and his wife, Sarah, they do eventually have one son named Isaac. But in between that time, there's stories of all kinds of trickery and falsehoods, and they're not really, really good lives. And yet, they do have a son. And their son has two sons. Esau is the oldest, and Jacob. 
See, we're, we're getting to Joseph. I promise we're almost there. So Esau and Jacob. And Jacob tricks Esau out of both his birthright and the deathbed blessing from their father. So Jacob runs away. I think I would do the same. He stays with his uncle. He ends up marrying two sisters, and he has 13 children, 12 boys, one girl. Eventually, he heads back to his homeland, the land of Abraham and Isaac, and his name along the way gets changed to Israel. So you'll hear both those names today, Jacob and Israel, same guy. And of Jacob's children, the second youngest is our Joseph we're going to be looking at. And seriously, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that we identify as the fathers of our faith, are really messed up from time to time. You have to read Genesis. I encourage you to read Genesis. But you keep in mind when we're listening to these stories and hearing about all these messed up lives, there's lots of their lives that we are not to, to imitate, right? <laughs> keep that in mind when you read them. We are called to imitate Jesus Christ. But the stories speak of God's faithfulness through it all. I read this recently that in one episode of The Simpsons, Homer finishes reading the Bible and he says, everyone in this book is a mess except for one guy. I thought that was funny. We all know who that one guy is. If you know Jesus, you know that that's the guy. That's the guy we are to imitate, not all the messed up people. So as we head into our passage today and set the groundwork for Joseph and what we're going to learn from his life, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Genesis is a, a very confusing book in the sense that the stories of how these people lived really baffles us. And yet, I pray that as we um, explore the beginning of Joseph, what we know about Joseph today and for the next three weeks that we learn more about you and how you make the right things happen, no matter what we're feeling and what we're thinking. So be present, Lord Jesus. And as Pastor Hojan prayed, let these words that come from you enter into our heads, our hearts, and our souls. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to be in Genesis chapter 37. And there's 36 verses, and I'm not going to read them all to you. But we need to know a lot of the details. So um, we're going to, I'm going to paraphrase a bit, then we'll read a couple verses and paraphrase a bit to get through the story. So Jacob and his family are back in Canaan, as I said. He returned to his homeland, and he's got his 12 sons and one daughter. And we learn that Joseph is 17 years old. And I think that's important to realize how young he really is. And he's shepherding flocks with his brothers. And in verse 3 and 4, it says this. Now Israel, now remember that's Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. So Joseph then has two dreams. The first dream, there are these binding sheaves of wheat, and Joseph rises up high, and the other 11, which are his brothers, are all bowing down to him. And his brothers' reactions? We step into verse 8. Are you indeed to reign over us? 
Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. Now his second dream involved the whole family. There was the sun representing his father, the moon representing his mother, and 11 stars, who were his brothers, all bowing down to Joseph. And again, the brothers became even more jealous. And his, even his father rebuked him for sharing that dream. So later, the brothers are out in the flock, and Joseph is, is sent by their father to go, um, go check up on them. He searches for a bit, and then he finds them. And we pick up again in verse 18. And this is, they is the brothers. They saw him at a distance. And before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him and we shall see what will become of his dreams. You can hear the attitude in that, can't you? The eldest brother, Reuben, steps in and he says, no, no, let's not take his life. Let's just throw him in the pit in the wilderness, but let's not shed his blood. Now, secretly, Reuben was planning to circle back to the pit, get Joseph out of there and return him to his father. So verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with the sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was not water in it. Now, then the brothers did what seems really odd after you've just thrown one of your brothers into a pit to die of exposure and thirst and hunger. They had lunch. I think that's an odd detail to hear. But they had a meal. And while they were eating, they saw in the distance a caravan of traders was coming. And Judah, son number four, suggested that they just profit from Joseph's capture. And let's not kill him. This was what they did. Verse 28. When some Midianites traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Now, Reuben must have missed all of this because it then says he actually went back to the pit and saw Joseph was gone and he tears his clothes in mourning. And then verse 31. Then they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They had the long robe with the sleeves taken to their father, and they said, This we have found. See now whether it is your son's robe or not. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. A wild animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned his son, for many days. The father could not be comforted, it goes on, I say. And the chapter winds up with Joseph being sold in Egypt to Pontifar, who's the captain of the guard. The end. Now, that's a cliffhanger, isn't it? I, I think it's amazing. A son is betrayed and trapped. The guilty brothers are deceiving the father, and the father is in mourning. See you next week. Wow. So what do we learn from this first chapter in Joseph's life? Well, it's wild. But even though I didn't read all the scripture, did you notice what is missing in this chapter? This is a chapter of God's word. God is missing from this chapter. His name is not used. He's not referenced. Nothing. 
If you just read this, you would not know that God was involved in this story. And I point that out because there are times in our lives where we can't feel God and we don't see God. We may be in a pit like Joseph or we might feel isolated and exiled and we struggle to feel God's presence or remember it. But we know he's there. We know. We just wish it was more evident. So let's see what God wants us to learn in this narrative. Joseph, part one. And I think he shows us that there are two ways that these lives and our lives can be broken, and that despite all of that, God is in it all, and he gives us three promises to sustain us through it. So unexpected, God's good intentions through the detours of Joseph's life. We haven't seen the good intentions yet. We just see the first detour, don't we? And this is a big one. So the brokenness and the promises. Two areas of brokenness in this passage are, first of all, all about the relationships in the whole passage. They're all broken. And at the end, we are surrounded by broken expectations. So first, the broken relationships. Now, remember in the history so far in Genesis, all of those families had a lot of times that were really messed up. So the messed up relationships in this story are not all that unique. Most families are dysfunctional in one way or another. And oddly, I find some comfort in that because I know in my family and probably all of your families, there's a little dysfunction somewhere or maybe a big dysfunction somewhere. So I like that this is a story of a true family. And in this family, no one is acting like they should. The favoritism that Jacob shows towards Joseph seems to be the major part of all of this. And he probably showed it in many ways. And the brothers would have been constantly confronted with the reality of this because of the coat that Joseph wore. The way it's described, most theologians believe it is a symbol of favoritism. And with the description of the long sleeves, it reveals Joseph's preeminence, superiority over his brothers. It's a garment of privilege. Now, every time his brothers saw Joseph, they would be reminded of the favoritism. Now, Joseph seems to really be completely blind to his brother's feelings, doesn't he? He's totally insensitive of him to tell them his dreams that elevate him even higher than his father has elevated him. Now, he's only 17. And wow, weren't we all at 17 a little obtuse to other people's feelings? Yeah. However, Joseph seems to feel so superior, and he just antagonizes his brothers with his dreams. His actions speak of all how immature he is and how foolish he is. And the brothers, their hatred just grew and grew. They never dealt with their emotions. They said they couldn't even speak peacefully to him anymore. And in their hatred, they plotted to kill him. And yet, with opportunity, he decided to just sell him instead. And that relationship between the brothers and Joseph cracked with their decisions and what they did. And then they intentionally deceived their father, breaking that relationship to a whole new depth. So everyone in this chapter added to the broken relationships in this family, Jacob, Joseph, and all of the brothers. So we have broken relationships throughout this passage and then our cliffhanger leaves us with many broken expectations for Jacob. Imagine this. 
and breathing father. The expectations he had for Joseph's life and future were shattered. We don't know what those were specifically. However, based on traditions of the time, he would have thought, oh, he's going to have married. He's going to have children. He's going to be prosperous in his fields and the crops. And Joseph, because he was a favorite son, I would imagine Jacob had even higher expectations for him. And Joseph, his expectation to continue to live as the favored one is now far, far away from where he is enslaved in Egypt. The expectations of his two dreams of having his whole family bow down to him now seem impossible. He is exiled from his homeland and his family and would be living with no hope of ever seeing them again. And the brothers, well, the brothers don't really, they don't really speak to what the brothers' expectations might have been. I think perhaps they had expected with Joseph out of the picture, their father would love them again. Remember, he was the second youngest, so he had, they had years of the father not adoring Joseph. They probably hoped that their father would pay attention to them. But it doesn't seem this happened. When they found their father, when they told him the news, he was inconsolable. And it says that their presence would not even ease their father's suffering. So their expectations were shot. Broken expectations all around for everybody here. Now, before we get to the three promises, because I don't want to leave us, leave us in the pit thinking that's all there is, I want to pause and give us time to think about what is broken in our lives our broken relationships. Now, some relationships crack a little, and we can mend them with a little bit of ease and forgiveness. Some relationships are severely broken, and we can let our emotions from that dominate our actions, like the brothers. They let their jealousy become hatred, become selling their brother. And what about our broken expectations? Not the school you dreamed of, not the career path you really had imagined, not living the city you always wanted to, and so much more. There are also things within ourselves that are broken. Our hopes for our future, our spirit when we feel overwhelmed by the world, and our souls when we struggle in our relationship with God. All of this brokenness can send us into our own pit, a dry lifeless pit. Even though at the end of the story we see Joseph in Egypt, being a slave in a foreign land would have felt like he was still in that dark pit. And in the pits we sit from time to time, like in this story that has no overt mention of God, I believe there are three things that we can hang on to when we're in our pits. And we find these in scripture, in the Bible, in this that this narrative of Joseph is found in too. So let's explore what's promised quickly. For Joseph and his family, of course, there was no written scripture. It hadn't been written down yet. And so they did oral tradition, which is very what every ancient society does, and many cultures still do. That's how stories are passed on. So they would have grown up hearing the stories of Abraham and Sarah and the child that was promised, and Isaac and Jacob and the 12 sons they all relied on this, and they heard the promise that God said, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to make you a great nation. And they held on to that promise. And they heard the stories that despite how much these families messed up, God was faithful. 
God is still faithful. And that's our first promise from God, that he is faithful. No matter what those people did, God faithfully was with them, never left them, and eventually his promise of the land and a great nation were fulfilled. And so there's scripture we can draw on because sometimes when we're in the pit, we cry out like this, like David did, that he wrote that we have in Psalm 69. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in deep mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. That's the pit. And then in Psalm, here's the reassurance from God. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and he heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. See, God's faithfulness to keep his promises, he draws us out of the pit. He makes our steps secure. He puts a new song in our mouths. The second promise from God that we now know goes beyond the promise to Abraham, and it continues God's faithfulness. Because all through the Old Testament, God is promising the Messiah is coming. The Messiah will save you from your brokenness, our sins, and will open the way to life. The promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ, God himself coming to earth, taking on all of our brokenness and sin in his death and resurrection and providing the hope of eternal life because of what he has done. That's our hope for sustenance today and eternal life for the future. Now, in a few minutes, we're going to join in communion. And that is our act of remembering who Jesus is and what he did for us. He is the promised Messiah. And the act of communion, we remember that this promise from God has been fulfilled. A couple of words from the New Testament about how Jesus fulfilled the promise of the Messiah. In 1 Peter, Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. And Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, because of this promise of the Messiah fulfilled, he says, so we do not lose heart. Even though our outer nature is wasting away, our inner nature is being renewed day by day. For our slight momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all measure. Because we look, at, we look not at what can be seen, but what cannot be seen. For what can be seen is temporary, but what cannot be seen is eternal. The promise of God to be faithful and the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ. And a third promise is that 
If you know the story of Jesus, if you know who Jesus is, you know that after his death and resurrection, he ascended up into heaven, which means he's no longer physically on earth with us anymore. But the third promise is a promise Jesus gave to his disciples and he gives to us. And that last night he had with them when he showed them communion and to keep doing it in remembrance of him. He says, if he says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you, you know him, for he lives in you and will be with you. Now, in the tradition of the church, do you know what Sunday this is? Pentecost. And if you don't know that term, it's fine, because we don't do a lot of traditional, that kind of rhythm of the church in our church congregation. But Pentecost is traditionally the one Sunday where we stop and we go, hey, this is the day that the Holy Spirit came down, so how appropriate. We're talking about the Holy Spirit today. And the in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, it talks about when the Holy Spirit came. And basically, the Holy Spirit came into the room where the disciples were hiding because they didn't know what was going on. And the Holy Spirit entered the room. It was just like a huge wind, and it divided into tongues that they say were like fire and rested on every person. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that same Holy Spirit, the wind, the fire, is present with us now, and the Holy Spirit is God's presence with us today. The Spirit guides us, teaches us, helps us, prays for us. When we're in our pits and we don't know what to say, it's Holy Spirit is always with us. We are never alone. So I think from Joseph's chapter 1, no matter what is going on, remember that no brokenness and no pit is beyond the promises of God. In our brokenness, in our dark, dry pits, we hold on to hope because of the faithfulness of God when we remember how faithful he's been in the past. We hold on to the salvation and hope brought through Jesus Christ, who brought us the hope for the future. And we know the presence of the Holy Spirit with us now. God is faithful in the past, in the present, and the future. No brokenness is beyond the reach of God's promises. His promise of faithfulness, the promise of Messiah to bring us life, and the promise of the ever-present Holy Spirit. Let us pray before we go to communion. Because, O oh God, from our brokenness and the depths of our pit, we lift the words of David to you. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I bear pain in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day long? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death. And my enemy will say, I have prevailed. My foes will rejoice because I am shaken. But I trust in your steadfast love. My heart 
shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. We trust in your steadfast love and in your faithfulness, O God. Our hearts shall rejoice in the salvation from Jesus Christ. And we sing to you, Lord, because you have dealt bountifully with us by giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you that nothing is beyond your promises. It's in Jesus' powerful name we pray. Amen. So in our brokenness, we head to communion today. So I encourage you to pick up your cup. We need this reminder of the promises of God, the eternal hope we have been given to sustain us and continue our journey closer and closer to God and to be more and more like Jesus Christ. So that last supper that Jesus had with his disciples, with his friends, he knew he was about to be arrested, would be tortured, would be crucified, but he also knew he would rise again. So he, during the meal, at one point Jesus picked up the bread and he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body broken for you. Forgiveness of sins. Eat in remembrance of me. And later in the same evening, the same meal, he picked up the cup. And he poured it. And he said, this is my blood. Poured out for you. For the forgiveness of your sins. So that you can have a relationship with God. That you can live in his promises. So drink in remembrance of Jesus Christ. Amen.